Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right, what's up everybody and welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here. Happy you're listening. Robert Reich is someone I love to pick on. This guy, he's the little, he's kind of a short, older man that used to work in the Clinton administration. He worked worked as the uh, Secretary of Education. I think it was Secretary of Education. And he's he does these little videos, and they're they're well put together videos. But his worldview and the way he thinks is so screwed up that I've just, I always have to, um, I don't know, I just, I just have to kind of critique his videos and, and kind of put them in their place. I mean, it, it, to me, it, it's really, it's bothersome that guys like this are so good at what they do, but so wrong in the way they do it. Um, it's just, it's not helpful at all. And, um, but he's so slick and so good at it that it makes it sound good. And he's really good. I've said good about 20 times now. He's good at making horrible things sound good. And today he spends a lot of time talking about wealth inequality. Now we've spent time talking about wealth inequality, where it comes from, uh, what it's all about, how it's, how, it's, uh, how it's allowed to persist, why it persists in America. And I'm going to cover a little bit of that somewhat today, but I'm going to do it in a critique of Robert Reich's video and his ideas, because ideas are the foundation of Western civilization. And when you get right down to it, it's why our civilization is being destroyed. Ideas that are as old as time are being destroyed by new ideas that are just wrong. So we're, we're going to take this, this, this uh, all-important thing on. Uh, wealth inequality. What what is it all about? Why why is it bad? If it's bad at all, um, and what's wrong with a, the way that Robert Reich explains it and 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 tells us is the cause of it and what should be done about it? Elon Musk's wealth has surpassed two hundred billion dollars. It would take the median U.S. worker over four million years to make that much. Wealth inequality is eating this country alive. We're now in America's second gilded age, just like the late 19th century, when a handful of robber barons monopolized the economy, kept wages down, and bribed lawmakers. While today's robber barons take joyrides into space, the distance between their gargantuan wealth and the financial struggles of working Americans has never been clearer. During the first 19 months of the pandemic, U.S. billionaires added $2.1 trillion to their collective wealth. 
And the rich have enough political power to cut their taxes to almost nothing, sometimes literally nothing. In fact, Jeff Bezos paid no federal income taxes in 2007 or in 2011. By 2018, the 400 richest Americans paid a lower overall tax rate than almost anyone else. But we can't solve this problem unless we know how it was created in the first place. Wow. I can't even give the guy credit for introducing the topic uh, correctly. I mean, he's just, he's, even even the introduction is just way over the top. And in fact, I had to take notes to write some of this stuff down because it was just, it's just ridiculous. But he starts off by picking on Elon Musk, which is, you know, look, that's the, that's the darling of the left that, you know, the left likes to pick on. And, and look, Robert Reich, he's a, he's a, a function of the left. He's a, he's, he's a politico. Okay. He's a, he's an elite. Okay. And he tells us that Elon Musk's wealth is over $200 billion. Okay. So what? Look, if someone's rich, how does that harm you? Because someone has more, how does that, how does that harm you? Now he talks about it later Uh, one way that it can harm you, but just somebody having more really has no effect on you in in terms of your liberty or your freedom to go out and earn more or to do more. Uh, This is just a, this is a a herring that, um, a red herring that liberals constantly, it's the, it's the policy, it's the politics of envy and it, and it means nothing. Um, same thing with wealth inequality. Wealth inequality is eating the country alive. Okay, Robert, how? How is wealth equality eating the country alive? Because somebody can, what, borrow against that money and spend it on big yachts? And, I, you know, I, it's, not, it's not clear to me how somebody really rich, uh, they're, they're just the very act of being rich and having a lot of wealth assets is eating the country alive. In fact, if anything, it's making us uh, it's making us richer as a country. You got to remember, the average person, the their wealth is is measured in standard of living. And standard of living, but for the devaluation or the the uh, devaluation in terms of purchasing power of the money. Is, is never been higher. I mean, we have more goods and services to make our lives better than we've ever had in history. And so it, it's just not true that somebody having a lot of wealth or this gap between somebody's wealth and your wealth, you know, somehow makes your life worse. It, it's just not the case. Uh, there is no economic um, um, basis for this kind of argument. It's just an assertion. It's just Robert Reich asserting something that he believes to be true uh, with no basis in fact or, or no argument to back it up. Now, the other thing he talks about is, hey, we're, look, we're, in, a, we're in a second gilded age. <laughs> this one I think is really funny because 
what happened during the Gilded Age? Yeah, some people got rich, like Rockefeller and uh, J.P. Morgan and, uh, uh, you know, the steel guy, I can't remember, Carnegie and people like that. But the, the standard of living of the average American exploded during the Gilded Age. So, so why did, why did the wealthiest among us get rich during the Gilded Age? I mean, fabulously rich. And at the same time, the average person's standard living exploded. That's not what's happening today. There are some people getting fabulously rich. That's true. But the average person's standard of living is going down. We're actually, our standard of living is being reduced at a high rate of speed. So it's not the same as the Gilded Age. Now, what he, what he pulls from the Gilded Age is that these robber barons, quote-unquote robber barons, and there's a whole, I mean, you can look into that. That's a bunch of BS as, to, as well, but I'm not going to get into that today. But what he says about it, what he pulls from the Gilded, Gilded Age, is that these robber barons, excuse me, robber barons, brought wages down and bribed uh, lawmakers brought wages down. Look, while it, while it's true that wages maybe came down, the price of everything came down. So, in 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 many cases came down a lot more than whatever amount wages fell. So, yeah, yes, maybe wages were falling, but everything you could buy with those wages was falling much much faster. And so this is, this is what would happen in a regular economy. I mean, we had a normal, honest economy during the Gilded Age. And so he, he, he takes kind of the vernacular of today and applies it to the Gilded Age and, and makes it sound like they're the same, and they're not the same. Um, we were under a gold standard during the Gilded Age, and prosperity was, was accelerating at an enormous rate. I mean, just a, just a huge rate. And then he talks about, uh, the difference between the gargantuan wealth of today and the, you know, the average struggling, struggling America has never been clearer. Okay. Again, fine. I got it. But what does that have to do with anything? I mean, just because someone has more than me doesn't make doesn't it doesn't follow that that makes my life worse. You know, Tiger Woods, for example, is very wealthy. Uh, Tiger Woods has done great things for golf. He's an entertaining. He used to be a very entertaining golfer to watch. Still is, I guess. He's a great role model in terms of his sportsmanship and so on and so forth. And yes, he's very wealthy. How does that harm me? I mean, pick any wealthy person. It just doesn't harm you. Now, I will agree with him that to the extent those wealthy people are using the government to either advantage themselves in the marketplace or to advocate for laws that hurt us, yes, that does hurt us. But that's not what Robert Reich is talking about. And then he brings up the, you know, the talking point that they all talk about, uh, that Jeff Bezos paid no taxes in 2007 and 2011. Okay, well, on paper, he didn't make any income. 
And Congress makes the tax income laws, or the income tax laws. And, uh, you know, I mean, what, what are we supposed to do about that? I mean, there's a reason. Look, if I don't make any income, I don't pay any taxes either. Uh, if the guy's plowing all his money back into his business or investing in, you know, solar and wind like GE did, you know, GE didn't pay any taxes um, for a couple of years there. But that's because they were, they got a bunch of tax credits from the government for wind and solar. And then he says the 400 richest people have a lower tax rate than the average American. Okay. Well, look, if I make, if I make a billion dollars a year and I have a bunch of write-offs and I only pay a 20% rate, that's still, I, I still pay $200 million in taxes. Okay, so the average American, let's say the average American is making, let's just for round numbers, let's say $100,000, but pays a 33% tax rate. Well, that's only $33,000. So in real terms, these rich people are paying a lot of money in taxes. $200 million in taxes is a lot of money. So, you know, these are just red herrings, and these are typical of the left, of the, you know, the, the government makes your life better, you know, vote for me and I will sick government on the, the rich and uh, your enemy and, and so you'll do better. But the problem is it doesn't work, okay? Making somebody poor doesn't help you, the average American. And so we're going to play, I, I know I've talked a lot here, but we're going to play more of Robert Reich and we're just going to we're just going to take these arguments. They're not even arguments. They're assertions, and they're 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 indicative of his worldview. And they don't. There's no real argument behind any of these assertions. But the videos are very slick, and Robert Reich, you know, he does a good job putting these together. And look, I'm going to post the the link uh, in the show notes so that you can go watch the video for yourself. But if you dig into each one of these these assertions that he's making you'll find out that they're absolutely wrong. Let's start with the basics. Wealth inequality in America is far larger than income inequality. Income is what you earn each week or month or year. Wealth refers to the sum total of your assets, your car, your home, art, anything else you own that's valuable. Valuable not only because there's a market for it, a price other people are willing to pay to buy it, but because wealth itself grows. As the population expands and the nation becomes more productive, the overall economy continues to expand. This expansion pushes up the values of stocks, bonds, rental property, homes, and most other assets. Of course, recessions and occasional depressions can reduce the value of such assets, but over the long haul, the value of almost all wealth increases. Pretty much everything he says here I agree with. I don't, I don't take issue with much. Although what I would say is during recessions and depressions, which are monetary created, wealth is uh, can, can decline substantially. In fact, uh, in 1929, uh, during the crash and then the subsequent uh, depression, uh, just about all wealth was wiped out. I mean, wealth inequality was, was high then as well. And after uh, about three years of market crash and depression, 
uh, it was all equalized again. So just because somebody has a lot of money and assets doesn't mean that they're always going to have it. And, um, and these assets can, the value of these assets can be destroyed quite quickly. And these, the, the wealthy people that own these assets, it's not like they can just hit the sell button and sell that very quickly. So, um, there is, there's a lot of bankruptcies that happen uh, during depressions, and we're likely going to see this again, again, uh, mainly because the the wealth, the the, the quote unquote wealth that is created in these uh, in in these types of events, the, the the asset, the underlying asset values are not real. Okay, they're not real in the sense that they've been bid up with money printing and money credit credit creation. And so that will all get equalized. Okay. It'll all come down. And, uh, and maybe instead of, I don't know what the wealth disparity is right now, but instead of it being 400 to one or a thousand to one or whatever it is, it might go back down to 50 to one or something. And then nobody's going to complain about it. Next personal wealth comes from two sources. The first source is the income you earn but don't spend. That's your savings. When you invest those savings in stocks, bonds, or real property, or other assets, you create your personal wealth, which, as we've seen, grows over time. The second source of personal wealth is whatever is handed down to you from your parents, grandparents, and maybe even generations before them. In other words, what you inherit. I got to hand it to Robert. He's good with definitions. You know, these are all just definitions of what uh, wealth is and how it's created and so on and so forth. The, the thing I'll say about this is entrepreneurs, people that own business, are involved in wealth creation. Uh, the act of investing as an individual is wealth accumulation, but that wealth accumulation is based on what entrepreneurs do in wealth creation. So these are these are different types of ways uh, of accumulating wealth, and obviously, if you own a business and you're creating wealth, uh, that pile of, of wealth creation uh, is accelerated much greater than than what the investor uh, makes just investing in the process of that wealth creation. The wealth gap between the richest Americans and everyone else is staggering. In the 1970s, the wealthiest 1% owned about 20% of the nation's total household wealth. Now, they own over 35%. Much of their gains over the last 40 years have come from a dramatic increase in the value of shares of stock. For example, if someone invested $1,000 in 1978 in a broad index of stocks, say the S&P 500, they would have $31,823 today, adjusted for inflation. Who's benefited from this surge? The richest 1%, who now own half the entire stock market. But the typical worker's wages have barely grown. Most Americans haven't earned nearly enough to save anything. Before the pandemic, when the economy appeared to be doing well, almost 80% were living paycheck to paycheck. 
Okay, in this segment, you know, Robert is starting to get sneaky, starting to do a little sleight of hand. And this is where we got to really start clamping down uh, and, and punishing him for his wrong think. <laughs> um, so, again, he talks about the wealthiest. And, he, and he, at the very beginning, he talks about, look, if you'd have taken $1,000 and invested it. So, now, so he's talking about investing, okay? You would have... $31,000 adjusted for inflation. And then he and then he does a slide of hand. He talks about the wealthiest uh, owned, you know, something like 20% of the nation's wealth in the 70s. Um, but now they own, you know, 50% of the stock market, which he's saying is the nation's wealth, but that's not entirely true. Um, but again, you, you make more if you're in the if you're in the business of creating businesses, you make more. There's more wealth creation that goes on there than there is in just just in in the process of investing in corporations that are in the wealth creation business. Okay, so for example, if I create Amazon, um, or let's say a thousand people are involved in creating Amazon, and and the shares are split between a thousand people, those thousand people are going to get richer by creating the, the, the wealth that's created within Amazon than, say, a thousand people that just invested in Amazon. Okay, that's just the way it works. Uh, you don't get as much of the share of the wealth it, through the process of investing as you do if you're there doing the work. Okay, that's that's the sleight of hand that he... That he uh, that he tried to get past us there. And this is, look, Robert Reich is very, very good at this. Again, I encourage you to go watch his videos. Uh, they're very well done. He, he appears to make arguments. And in some ways they are kind of arguments, but they're not, they're not founded and they're not based in any kind of, uh, of any kind of, uh, oh, I don't know, factual, there's no factual basis behind some of his arguments. He just, it's like he takes, a bunch of statistics that aren't related to one another and throws them against the wall and paints you a picture of what he wants you to see. And this is, this is just not how economics works. I mean, again, he's trying to pass it off as economics, but that's just not the way it works. And uh, they, to me, these guys, guys like Robert Reich are so dangerous because the ideas seem very good and it seems logical and reasonable what he's saying, but there, there's no causal connections between any of the things that he's trying to make a connection with. So as income inequality has widened, the amount that the few high-earning households save, their wealth, has continued to grow. Their growing wealth has allowed them to pass on more and more wealth to their heirs. Take, for example, the Waltons, the family behind the Walmart empire, which has seven heirs on the Forbes billionaires list. Their children and other rich millennials will soon consolidate even more of the nation's wealth. America is now on the cusp of the largest intergenerational transfer of wealth in history. As wealthy boomers pass on, somewhere between 30 to 70 trillion dollars will go to their children over the next three decades. These children will be able to live off this wealth and then leave the bulk of it 
which will continue growing, to their own children, tax-free. After a few generations of this, almost all of America's wealth could be in the hands of a few thousand families. So what? I mean, who cares? What does this have to do with the price of tea in China? Nothing. Now, the second thing I'd say, you know, look, uh, the, the the idea that this passes tax-free to your heirs, that's just a lie. I mean, if you, I think the number, the cutoff number is $7 million. So if you have more than $7 million today that you're passing on to your heirs, something like 40% or 50% of it gets whacked by the government. So it's just not true that, uh, that you pass that on to your heirs. Uh, 100%. Uh, it, it, unless it's in a foundation or something. There is just no way to pass on an estate uh, worth that much money onto your heirs. Now, personally, I think there should be. I don't think you should have to pay taxes on assets or anything else that you've already paid taxes on. But the bigger thing is, uh, the the wall the you know the Walmart family having a bunch of of wealth it, the only thing it can do is is make my life better it can't make my life worse look if you go to Bentonville right now you see all the you see museums you see all this stuff that uh, the Waltons do for Bentonville and it's all free I mean you go to the museum any museum like I've been to it in Bentonville like if you can go to the museum there in Bentonville Normally, go, to go to a museum like that would cost $25 or something. It's free. It's absolutely free. And, you know, I mean, they've enriched the local community there. Uh, I, it, it, look, you just got to trust me that it, it doesn't hurt you for somebody else to be wealthy. Now, let me say, some of these people get involved in political things. Most of them don't. Most of them... They're just not interested. They, they've got plenty of money. They're not interested in, in getting tangled up in the political process. They're more interested in giving some of that money away and having people tell them how great they are and so on and so forth. But to the extent they get involved in political processes and lobby Congress directly to do things that separate you from your liberty and property, then yes, that's bad. Uh, but Robert Reich is not talking about that. You know, think George Soros. Look at all the evil shit that that guy's doing with his money. That's the guy. That's the kind of person you need to be concerned about. Uh, not these genera- generational wealth families. Concentrated wealth is already endangering our democracy. Wealth doesn't just beget more wealth; it begets more power. Dynastic wealth concentrates power in the hands of fewer and fewer people who can choose what nonprofits and charities to support and which politicians to bankroll. This gives an unelected elite enormous sway over both our economy and our democracy. We might come to resemble the kind of dynasties common to European aristocracies in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries. Dynastic wealth makes a mockery of the idea that America is a meritocracy where anyone can make it on the basis of their own efforts. 
It also runs counter to the basic economic ideas that people earn what they're worth in the market and that economic gains should go to those who deserve them. Finally, wealth concentration magnifies gender and race disparities because women and people of color tend to make less, save less, and inherit less. The typical single woman owns only 32 cents of wealth for every dollar of wealth owned by a man. The pandemic likely increased this gap. The racial wealth gap is even starker. The typical black household owns just 13 cents of wealth for every dollar of wealth owned by the typical white household. The pandemic likely increased this gap too. In all these ways, dynastic wealth creates a self-perpetuating aristocracy that runs counter to the ideals we claim to live by. Okay, so dynastic wealth could leave, lead to power, political power. Well, you know, look, I've already talked about this. This is bad. But this is not a function of wealth. It doesn't, it doesn't automatically follow that if someone's wealthy, they exercise that wealth and power in the political process. The vast majority of these people do not, except to protect their business. And I've already said that we should, we should get rid of that. And, and, and I've talked about this before on the program. Look, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm happy to have a discussion with people about this, but my idea is create a 28th Amendment or whatever the next number is on the amendments and, and pass an amendment that says Congress, Congress, okay, shall make no law whose purpose is not, uh, whose purpose is... Uh, other than to protect liberty and property of American citizens. In other words, you can't go to government and advantage yourself in the marketplace uh, to take advantage of some other person or entity in the marketplace. Congress can't make laws that take your property, which is your money, by the way. So this has radical implications, but this is what we need to do. These companies and wealthy people do use the political process this way. And it is unfair. But you shouldn't destroy wealth so that people can't get political power. What you, what you want to do is destroy the mechanism that creates that political power. Um, you know, you want to you you make it so that laws can't be passed that separate you from your property and your liberty. And right now, that's not the case. I mean, you can if you're a wealthy person, you can definitely go to Washington, D.C., and you can convince congressmen and congresswomen, if you have enough money, to pass laws that advantage you, either in the marketplace or uh, advantage you in a way that takes liberty or somebody else's property for them and transfers it to you. That absolutely exists today. But that doesn't have anything to do with wealth. Um, you could easily be a wealthy person, have no interest in doing that, and nobody would ever know the, the difference. You know, you look at someone like George Soros, you know, some people kind of talk great about the guy because he's given 60 plus percent of his wealth away, but he's, he invests in all these NGOs and stuff that are, that are bad actors. And, but for people like George Soros, these entities wouldn't exist because they're, they, they can't, 
you know, they, the, their business model is such that nobody would fund it, but George uh, Soros funds it because they're, they're mostly bad actors. And, uh, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to disrupt certain things that, that, um, that are, you know, culturally, um, significant about America. Uh, you know, you see this in his, his, uh, his disruption around the whole district attorney process and, and getting rid of bail and, and kind of, um, reducing the penalty for certain crimes, certain violent crimes. I mean, this is bad for society, but this is how George Soros is spending his wealth. And you, you simply take away that ability and, you know, guy like him couldn't do it, but, that doesn't have anything to do with wealth per se. In fact, you know, he brought up the Gilded Age. This activity didn't happen during the Gilded Age. The reason is, is because we had, we had a, a political system that was way less corrupt. We had uh, real money. So people that had real money didn't want to spend it on stuff like this. A lot of what he's talking about is a function of the fiat money system, a function of credit creation and just the easy money kind of monetary policy that we have in the U.S. Uh, when you go back to the Gilded Age, you don't see any of this activity. And the reason is, is because money's too precious. And rich people were more interested in plowing into some sort of investment that would make them even richer. They weren't, uh, they weren't looking uh, to get rich through the political system, mainly because you couldn't. The last time America faced anything comparable to the concentration of wealth we face today was at the turn of the 20th century. That was when President Teddy Roosevelt warned that, quote, a small class of enormously wealthy and economically powerful men whose chief object is to hold and increase their power, unquote, could destroy American democracy. Roosevelt's answer then was to tax wealth. Congress enacted two kinds of wealth taxes. The first, in 1916, was the estate tax, a tax on the wealth someone has accumulated during their lifetime, paid by the heirs who inherit that wealth. The second tax on wealth, enacted in 1922, was a capital gains tax, a tax on the increased value of those assets paid when those assets are sold. But both of these wealth taxes have shrunk since then or become so riddled with loopholes that they haven't been able to prevent a new American aristocracy from emerging. The Trump Republican tax cut enabled individuals to exclude $11.18 million from their estate taxes. That means one couple can pass on more than $22 million to their kids tax-free. Not to mention the very rich often find ways around this tax entirely. As Trump's former White House National Economic Council director Gary Cohn put it, only morons pay the estate tax. What about capital gains on the soaring values of wealthy people's stocks, bonds, mansions, and works of art? Here, the biggest loophole is something called the stepped-up basis. If the wealthy hold on to their assets until they die, their heirs inherit them without paying any capital gains taxes whatsoever. 
All the increased value of those assets is simply erased for tax purposes. This loophole saves heirs an estimated $40 billion a year. This means that huge accumulations of wealth in the hands of a relatively few households can be passed from generation to generation untaxed, growing along the way, generating comfortable incomes for rich descendants who will never have to work a day of their lives. That's the dynastic class we're creating right now. The thinking behind Robert Reich's logic is somehow that if the government takes the wealth in the form of taxes, that it somehow does something altruistic with the money. This is this is wrong. Okay, this is just there's just there's no evidence that this happens. In fact, uh, there's there's tons of evidence that it doesn't happen. The the wealth in the hands of individuals is every time under any circumstances just about better than than having that money in the hands of government with the exception of something like George Soros. You know, if everybody was doing stuff like George Soros, <laughs> I might even advocate for this, but that's not what's happening. Um you know, th- this money is being used. Yes, okay, so there's some rich, you know, trust fund people, you know, that that get to live and, and live unproductive lives and maybe paint landscapes for a living. Who cares? How does that harm you? How does that harm me? How does that harm you? The answer is it doesn't. Now, one thing that he mentioned there that I want to talk about just for a second, because it's 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 important actually. He he talks about it as a negative, but I'm going to talk about it as as a positive. If you have a and he called it it's it's called stepped up basis. So let's say you have a family farm. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have a family farm that's valued at a hundred million dollars, okay? And there's three heirs, okay? And and you die, and you want to give the family farm to your heirs, and you can't take a step up in basis. Now the heirs have to come up with fifty million dollars, like he well seventy almost seventy five million dollars, right? Because he said the the first twenty two million is exempt. So you got to come up with seventy something million dollars, seventy eight million dollars, to keep the family farm. Now how are they going to do that? All their wealth is tied up in the family farm. So what happens? They sell the farm to even a richer guy like maybe Bill Gates. Uh, because they have to, in order to pay the taxes, so they can keep twenty-two million. So this is this is a bad idea, you know, to get rid of this stepped-up basis. Um, what about uh, you know if your father owned a, a machining business that was fifty million dollar business, and he wanted to give it to you and your brothers and sisters, and you know it's you know it's worth fifty million. Uh, so you know if uh, if you if you die, and uh, you don't get a step up in basis, you know you've got to come up with you know thirty thirty eight million dollars to pay the government for what for the right to keep a business that's been in your family. I mean I don't know what Robert Reich is advocating for, but these are these are very bad ideas. And when I say people like Robert Reich are dangerous, I don't mean like physically dangerous, like he's gonna jump on you and stab you or something. What I'm saying is ideas are dangerous. 
you know, when, when you look at something, and I know I'm making a total different leap here, but when you look at something like the rise of Hitler and the Holocaust and all the bad stuff that happened there, people always ask, well, how did that happen? You know, how, how could that possibly happen? And that could never happen today. And they make all kinds of assertions. This, this it starts with bad ideas, bad ideas that are not based in any principle and influential people, charismatic people that promote these bad ideas and advocate for these bad ideas. And this is how it happens. This is how you lose Western civilization is people like Robert Reich, who are mostly political animals, but good at kind of, you know, twisting things around and making things look good. And they with their little presentation. This is how, this is how things are lost. This is how, this is how you lose an entire civilization or entire generation gets wiped out because people like Robert Reich um, are, are good at explaining things improperly. So what do we do? Follow the wisdom of Teddy Roosevelt and tax great accumulations of wealth. The ultra-rich have benefited from the American system, from laws that protect their wealth and our economy that enabled them to build their fortunes in the first place. They should pay their fair share. The majority of Americans, both Democrats and Republicans, believe the ultra-rich should pay higher taxes. There are many ways to make them do so, closing the stepped-up basis loophole, raising the capital gains tax, and fully funding the Internal Revenue Service so it can properly audit the wealthiest taxpayers. For starters, Beyond those fixes, we need a new wealth tax, a tax of just 2% a year on wealth in excess of a million dollars. That's hardly a drop in the bucket for centibillionaires like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, but it would generate plenty of revenue to invest in healthcare and education so that millions of Americans have a fair shot at making it. One of the most important things you as an individual can do is take the time to understand the realities of wealth inequality in America and how the system has become rigged in favor of those at the top and demand your political representatives take action to unrig it. Wealth inequality is worse than it has been in a century. We have to stop this vicious cycle and demand an economy that works for the many, not one that concentrates more and more wealth in the hands of a privileged few. This is a solution without a problem. Um, wealth is not a problem for you as an individual. Somebody else's wealth is not a problem for you. But to the extent that it is, it doesn't follow that the money would be better in the hands of government. The government is the is a destroyer of wealth. And the reality is wealth, even if it's not owned by you personally, works away it works in ways to make your life better. I mean, look at Jeff Bezos. Would anybody I mean, would would we go to the polls and vote that we take Jeff Bezos' wealth away because his company hasn't made our lives better? No. Everybody loves Amazon. Why? Because it does great things. You can go shop at your computer and they deliver it to your door and you don't have to drive around all over the place and look for stuff. 
I mean, it's an amazing company. It makes our life better. Why would we take Jeff Bezos' wealth away from him for, for building such a company and give it to the government where the government will just squander it? And oh, you know, what he says is we need to invest. First of all, the government doesn't invest, okay? It spends. And the more it spends on healthcare and education, I don't know if you noticed, but the worse they get. It, it's just, they're, what those have become is just a place for politicians to make money. And this whole rigged at the top thing, look, I mean, are there problems? Is it hard to get ahead in America? Yes, today, it's probably harder than ever. But the single biggest challenge for your average American in getting ahead is essentially the money, the money system, the fiat money system. If you had uh, an honest money system, people would be able to save and invest. They wouldn't have to take huge amounts of risk in order to maintain and grow their wealth. Um, You just wouldn't have this craziness that uh, where where everybody's having to keep up and make 12% a year or something to outrun an inflation rate of 8% a year, just so you can grow your real wealth 4% a year. I mean, this is, this is the world we live in today. And yes, okay, people like Jeff Bezos are growing their wealth exponentially, but that's because their companies are doing great things and providing great services for us, and we're buying it voluntarily, I might add. And so just Robert Rice, you got to be very, very careful when you watch his stuff. It's entertaining but it's mostly bullshit. Uh, it's mostly partisan, uh, just wrong think. I mean, his ideas will never lead to prosperity. They're not based in any principle. Um, he just is one of these guys that think thinks that that government is a net good, and the reality is government is not a net good. Government is a net bad for the individual. The more government you have, the worse it is for individuals. And that's just, that's just the way it works. And, uh, it's not, um, it's not partisan. It's not, uh, you know, it's just the way it works. And so, uh, please don't listen to Robert, Robert Reich, or at least don't take him seriously. Um, I hope you enjoyed this program. I think, look, I think these are, these are, these are some of the most important ones that I, that I do because Robert Reich has a big megaphone, you know, I mean, a lot of people think that that guy makes sense and we've got to, we've got to work twice as hard to try to knock down ideas from guys like that. So look, if you, if you come back tomorrow and listen, I'll be here again to do it all over and uh, have some interesting content to, discuss and uh, maybe maybe you take that away and discuss it with your friends and and talk about some of these ideas and you know maybe maybe over time we can can change people's thinking